Hello. Welcome to the incomplete works of Shakespeare. Oh, let me not be mad. Not mad, sweet heaven, keep me in temper. I would not be mad. King Lear, chapter one, a kingdom divided. Britain was ruled over by a king. He was a good king, but he was getting old and dreamed of retirement. But who should rule after him? He had three daughters, and he decided that the kingdom should be divided between them. Two of his closest advisers, though, were not so sure. The Duke of Kent and the Duke of Gloucester discussed the situation and debated the merits of the daughters and their husbands. Two of the daughters were married, and the third had caught the attention of both the King of France and the Duke of Burgundy. They had to shut up pretty quickly, though, as the king entered the rooms, along with all three of his daughters and the two husbands. The king demanded a map of the kingdom and laid it out in front of him, and then he spoke. We will be dividing the kingdom among my children to be ruled over by them and their husbands. There is also the bounty. Now, my girls, whichever of you professes the greater love for me shall have the largest share. So tell me, how much do you love me? My eldest, Goneril, shall speak first. Goneril, wife of the Duke of Albany, stepped forward and spoke, oozing with earnestness. I love you more than words can say, as much as a child ever loved her father. It makes me short of breath, such that I find it difficult to speak. Beyond everything, I love you. The king was mightily impressed, and immediately conferred one-third of Britain to Goneril and Albany. He then turned to his middle daughter. Regan, wife of the Duke of Cornwall, speak. Regan stepped forward. She managed, almost impossibly, to outsmarm her sister. I am made of the same stuff as my sister. I find that she describes love well, but she comes up short. I am an enemy to all other joys than love for you. Nothing can compare. The king was mightily impressed again with these words, even though they were, of course, only words. He immediately gave Regan and Cornwall a third of his kingdom. Regan stepped back, inwardly beaming. The king then turned to his youngest child, the one who was secretly his favourite, the one who he trusted most, and the one he thought loved him the most. Cordelia, favoured by the King of France and the Duke of Burgundy, what do you have to say? King Lear sat back, waiting for what he expected to be the pinnacle of professions of daughterly love. Nothing, said Cordelia. Nothing? Nothing. Lear was incensed. Nothing will come of nothing. Speak again. Cordelia spoke seriously. I cannot suddenly bring my heart into my mouth. You are my father. I love you according to my bond, no more, no less. When I marry, I will love my husband. I cannot give you all my love, or love you more than others, as my sisters say they do. The king was livid. He immediately disowned his favourite daughter. She was certainly not getting any kingdom. The Duke of Kent tried to reason with his master, but the king was so very, very cross that he wouldn't listen. Kent tried again to get Lear to see the error of his ways, but that just enraged the aged monarch even more. The Duke rather unwisely tried a third time and was banished from Britain for his troubles. So, King Lear's decision to split his kingdom and his bounty between his daughters, according to how much they loved him, had cost him a daughter and one of his most trusted advisers in less than half an hour. This may sound bad, but believe me, it's going to get an awful lot worse. Kent left, and a short while later the Duke of Gloucester arrived with the King of France and the Duke of Burgundy, the rivals for the hand of Cordelia. Lear, still incensed by the apparent lack of love from his youngest daughter, had no qualms about telling the two suitors what had happened, and that Cordelia was not going to get a bean. The Duke of Burgundy immediately withdrew his marriage request, but the King of France was not swayed. 
He asked Cordelia to leave with him there and then and said that they would be married. Leah was perfectly happy with this arrangement, glad to see the back of his unloving former favourite. Before she left, she had a warning for her sisters. You have your faults. I will not name them all. Look after our father and treat him well. I leave him with you as I go to a better place. Farewell to you both. Don't you tell us what to do, replied Regan haughtily. Go and be with your new lord, added Goneril. Cordelia looked at her two sisters one last time. Who knows what cunning there is in you, and who knows what will happen? And with that, Cordelia and the king left for France. And Cordelia was right. As soon as she had gone, Goneril and Regan began to plot. Both announced that their declarations of love were fake. Meanwhile, in the castle of the Duke of Gloucester, the Duke's son, Edmund, was reading a letter. Edmund was the son of the Duke, but not the son of the Duke's wife. He had a half-brother called Edgar, who was the son of the Duke's wife. This meant that Edgar would be the one to inherit everything. Rather understandably, Edmund was not happy about this. As he was reading, his father entered. Kent has been banished, he exclaimed as Edmund tried to hide the letter. What's that you're reading? Oh, nothing. It's not nothing or you wouldn't have tried to hide it. Show me. (sighs) It's a letter from my brother. I haven't finished reading it yet, said Edmund. Gloucester was having none of it. Again he demanded the letter, and after a couple more exchanges, Edmund handed it over. When Gloucester read the letter, he was appalled. Edgar, his legitimate son, was plotting against him, and was trying to entice Edmund into being part of the plot. Gloucester demanded to know when and how the letter was received. Edmund said he'd chanced upon it in a cupboard, and it hadn't been sent. He smarmily expressed the wish that it wasn't really Edgar's intention to plot, but Gloucester was completely taken in, and very, very angry. Edmund advised his father to wait until he had seen Edgar before exercising his judgment. The Duke agreed and wandered off angry and confused. Edmund sat talking to himself for a while, only looking up when his brother arrived. Crafty old Edmund told Edgar that his father was very annoyed with him for some reason, but he didn't know what. Perhaps, opined Edgar, someone was out to get him. Edmund solemnly agreed and told Edgar to go and stay in his, Edmund's, lodgings. And he told him to go armed. Edmund would bring their father to talk with Edgar later. Edgar swallowed it all and soon left for his brother's abode. When he had gone, Edmund smiled to himself. Ha! he said to himself. I have a credulous father and a noble brother. He's far from doing any harm and suspects nothing. This is too easy. King Lear had decided to spend his time staying with his two apparently loving daughters and keep a retinue of a hundred knights. He would spend the first month with his eldest... He duly moved in, and the trouble started almost immediately. The king took offence at Goneril's steward, Oswald, having a go at his fool. His remedy was to strike the steward. Goneril was extremely annoyed by this, and also by the fact that Lear appeared to think he was still in charge, despite giving his kingdom to her and Regan and their husbands. She wrote to her sister. Lear arrived back at the hall of Albany and Goneril. He immediately demanded dinner, and then encountered a man he didn't recognise. Little did he know, it was the banished Duke of Kent in disguise. After a brief conversation, in which Lear asked the man a few questions, the man had a job. This unusual job interview resulted in the disguised Duke of Kent becoming King Lear's messenger. One of the King's knights arrived looking a little perturbed. He announced that Goneril was apparently ill. The knight, though, was not convinced. He said that he'd noticed a certain frostiness from the household towards Lear and his knights. Perhaps the love of his eldest daughter was not quite as strong as she had professed. 
Lear had had an inkling of this himself, and he said he would look into it. By the way, he said, where's my fool? I haven't seen him for some time. Ah, replied the knight, since the noble Cordelia left for France, he has been pining. Lear thought that he'd noticed this too, but immediately cut the conversation short and demanded that one of his attendants find the fool and another tell Goneril he wanted to talk to her. They left, and Oswald arrived. Lear was still quite annoyed with the steward. Come here. Who am I? he demanded. My lady's father, came the reply, the old king clearly expecting something more respectful than this. My lady's father, screamed Lear. Why, you are a dog, a slave and a cur. I am none of these. Oswald then looked at the angry Lear trepidatiously. I will not be hit, sir, he said. He wasn't hit, but the disguised Kent tripped him and sent him on his way. As he did so, King Lear's fool finally appeared, looking a touch melancholy. Although he was the king's fool, he was no fool. He told the aged monarch a few home truths, calling him a fool for giving away his lands to his two scheming daughters. You have given away everything, Nuncle. You have made your daughters your mothers. What a family you are. They would have me whipped for speaking the truth, and you would have me whipped for lying. Sometimes I am whipped simply for saying nothing. You have given away your golden crown, and now you are nothing in your own kingdom. I would rather be anything but a fool, but I'd rather be me than you. Just as the fool finished his speech, Goneril entered the hall. After some very unfriendly banter with the fool, she turned to her father and got to the point. This fool and your knights are disturbing me in my own house. It's become like a riotous inn, like a tavern. You don't need a hundred knights. Lear was furious. Darkness and devils, saddle my horses and call my retinue together, he shouted to his attendants. And then to Goneril, I have another daughter, I will trouble you no more. The Duke of Albany, perhaps aroused by the noise of the argument, entered the hall. The old king called him ungrateful and told him to arrange the preparation of his horses so he could leave. Albany told him to be patient. Lear turned to Goneril. Detested kite, I hope you have ungrateful and hateful offspring so you can know how it feels. Know how sharper than the serpent's teeth it is to have a thankless child. Oh, Lear, 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 what a fool you are. Lear slapped himself around the head. Albany looked a bit confused as the slightly unhinged old man left. He asked his wife what was going on. She replied coldly. Don't worry about the reasons. He's old and I think going quite mad. Lear came back into the hall and Albany asked him what was going on. He ignored him and ranted at Goneril through tears, telling her he had another daughter who he was sure would tear out his ungrateful child's eyes from her wolvish face with her fingernails. Then he'd have his power back. With that, he turned and left, with all his retinue, including the disguised Duke of Kent. Goneril turned to her husband. We can't let him keep a hundred knights. He could still have us at his mercy. I've written to my sister telling her how he has behaved. She won't welcome him and a hundred knights. We will only let him have fifty. Albany suggested she may have been exaggerating the risks a bit, but she knocked him back quickly. You are too tender and not wise enough, she said, and that is not a good combination. Goneril gave the letter to Regan to Oswald and told him to hurry it to her. Outside the castle, Lear gave some letters for his middle child to his messenger, the undercover duke, and told him to deliver them to the Earl of Gloucester's castle. When Kent had gone, the fool spoke up. Regan is made from the same stuff as Goneril. She will treat you no better. Do you know how an oyster makes its shell? Lear, puzzled, said that he didn't. Nor do I, replied the fool, but I know why a snail carries its house on its back. It means he will always have a roof over his head. 
He can't give his house away to his daughters, leaving him without a home. Maybe I could take the kingdom back by force, pondered the old man. The fool smiled mockingly. If the tables were turned, if I were you and you were me, I'd have you beaten for getting old. You're not supposed to get old and not be wise. Oh dear God, wailed Lear, don't let me go mad, I don't want to be mad. And with that, the party departed. How would Lear fare with his middle daughter? Would Regan treat him any better than Goneril had done? Well, I'm sure you probably already know the answer to that question, but we won't find out until next time. If you enjoy my podcast, then please go to my website, www.mythandhistory.co.uk. There, you will find a load of features, but also you'll find the dramatis personae, or the characters, from each play. That should be posted up tomorrow. Also, you will find a donation button. I do have hosting costs and a few other expenses associated with my podcast, and any donations really are very, very gratefully received. So... Have a great couple of weeks and I'll speak to you next time.